0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast, and our first installment of Veterans Forum, where we feature unscripted conversations with men and women who have served in the military, and we talk about basically anything having to do with their time served. Our first interview is with Bobby Randall, who did multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, first as a U.S. Marine, and then multiple tours in Afghanistan with the U.S. Army. He shares some memories and insights into military life that I think you'll find enjoyable and interesting.
1: So I'm Bobby Randall, uh, 37, been in the military since I was 18, since uh, 2001, since August of 2001, you know, pre-towers falling. But uh, the reason why I got in the military is because where I'm from, there's not a whole lot of job opportunities. I'm from a small town in California. You You either end up in a gang, you end up on a farm or you end up dead in the street. So I wanted to get out of my town and join the Marine Corps in 2001. And then spent time, uh, I was in the Marine Corps from 2001 to 2005, and then. Where were you in 2001
0: when the, when the towers fell?
1: So uh, when I was, so I went to boot camp in MCRD San Diego in 2001 and August 6th. And uh, when the towers fell, I was actually, we were on swim qual week. And, you know, we had just come out of the pool and one of our, one of the recruits named Marazzo, in the Marine Corps, if you break a hand guard when, you know, you're doing your drill movements and you show intensity that you pop off a hand guard or you break a hand guard, the drill instructors at that time, they would reward you with like a Big Mac or, you know, a, you know, a burger and a, you know, the drink of your choice, like a Mountain Dew or something like that. And, and a two minute phone call home because back then, you know, cell phones weren't a big thing. So. Morazzo, he broke his handguard that morning, so he got his two-minute phone call. And this is, I want to say, he called at about, I want to say about one in the afternoon, and we're in there cleaning the bathroom, and uh, he went out and did his two-minute phone call, and he came back in, and he's yelling and screaming, and he's like, did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? We're like, what are you talking about? Um, I just got the phone with my mom. The the World Trade Centers, they got bombed. And we all thought it was, you know, his mom being crazy, because he was crazy. And, um, and so we all just laughed at him and everything. And then a couple hours later, we're out drilling on the on the parade field. And then you know our drill instructor our drill instructor told us to come to him. So you know we got around him in a school circle. And uh, he goes, um, "Did y'all hear about what happened in New York?" We're like, "Yeah, the World Trade Center's got bombed." And everybody started laughing because you know by then we'd already been making fun of Marazzo for it. He goes, "No, actually, someone uh, some jackass threw a uh, flew a plane into him. Uh, who's got family in New York? Because you got to make sure that they're still alive." And that's when we're like wait what and then all of a sudden we started seeing drill instructors you know full kit you know the kevlar and flak vests and we've been there for you know a little about a month now and that wasn't normal and uh and they're walking, they're walking around with loaded rifles and stuff like that and, and we're talking about drill instructors not just you know the the guard and stuff but no drill instructors and stuff like that we're walking around with this stuff and you know it, we're like this really happened and we're only allowed to really get the news on Sundays and in the morning after breakfast chow. You come out of breakfast chow and they're selling newspaper. They were selling newspapers there for 50 cents and you could buy a newspaper. And we, uh, A bunch of us bought newspapers and we were reading them and there was the pictures of you know the towers on fire and everything. Um, yeah,
0: in some ways, it's kind of like Pearl Harbor where America is attacked. Or in yeah. this case, it, was a, it, was a, it turned out to be the city. It turned out to be the Pentagon.
1: Yeah, but like I said, all, the only thing we really knew at that time was uh, that the towers fell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had no clue um, about anything else that was going on at the time. Granted, there was a bunch of other stuff that was going on at the time because you know we had the what was it? While well, I was in boot camp, uh, the Pentagon admitted that they lost all uh, trillions of dollars the day before the towers fell, and then Aaliyah, the singer, she died while while I was in boot camp, and then uh, it didn't really. Hit. I mean, you could. Where MCRD San Diego is, it the only thing that separates the Marine Corps Recruit Depot and the airport, the San Diego airport, is a chain-link fence. That's it. You could literally see freedom flying over your head every day. And you could see the interstate and uh, SeaWorld down the street. You could see the fireworks when, you know, usually they only did them for special occasions. But because of 9-11, they were firing them off every night, and we were seeing it, and we were seeing flags on every vehicle driving across the interstate and stuff like that it was crazy we saw all the planes get grounded um, from our barracks and we it was crazy I didn't it didn't hit me till after I got out of boot camp that the towers fell until November when I got out and my dad he knew that I was uh, that I wasn't gonna be able to you know watch a lot of this stuff so he um, he recorded a lot of it and I sat down I must have sat down for gosh 18 19 hours just going over all the videos and my dad recorded of it so that i could watch it in one sitting and i mean i went into boot camp and you know we weren't at war and i come out of boot camp and it's a whole different country, war, war, whole different country. it was a whole different country and it wasn't the same country that i went you know i went into and it was you know going on any after that going on any military installation at that time because i went from mcrd san diego to uh camp lejeune north carolina to you know go to you know my MOS west school and stuff like that and each part of camp lejeune when you're going into a new part of camp lejeune is all it's all on base it's all one base but because you know there's a lot of military training stuff it's big it's huge and in order to go to one place to another usually you just drive you know and there's no checkpoints no nothing but at that time there was checkpoints everywhere and you know, I thought it was a normal, and they're like, "No, this isn't normal. This is all because of you know 9/11. We ha- we had to do multiple checkpoints and stuff like that." So a lot of things changed. I mean, th- looking back almost 20 years later, it's all calmed down again. But that was crazy. That was a crazy time. It was one thing you'll you know you'll never forget. I mean, my recruiter said, "Oh yeah, when you go to when, when you go to the Marine Corps, yeah, it's just like a nine to five job, except you wake up a little earlier to go run." But other than that, you know, we're never going to go, we're not going to go back to war. We haven't been to war since 91 and this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, nine to five and I get college. And then come out of boot camp and different, you know, totally different world, not just country, but world.
0: When when you received your orders, where did you head for?
1: Um, so the first deployment I did was in 2003 to Iraq. Um, that was during the initial push
0: are you allowed to say what division you were with yeah
1: it was the second combat engineer uh, battalion uh uh, the second marine division um out of camp lejeune um let's see it was a it was a joint it was like it was the first time that both first combat engineer battalion and second combat engineer battalion deployed together because uh it's separated into regions you know the uh 2 Div or 2nd Marine Division, they control a certain part of the country, uh, world. You know, or not control, but they patrol a certain part of the world. When something pops up over there, they're the ones that deploy. And same thing with 1st Marine Division. They're, on, they're in California, and when something pops up in their region, they deploy. But it, Iraq was supposed to be a 1st Marine Division area of operation, and, but because of the scale that they wanted to use, uh, both combat engineer battalions got deployed. And it wasn't just... It was the whole... First and Second Marine Division, plus the Army was there, the Air Force was there. Um, we got there Valentine's Day of 2003. And uh, I mean, 19 years old, I was scared. I'm like, well, actually, I was about to turn 20 right before we, I turned 20 in Iraq. But uh, I remember, oh, we were scared. We couldn't have, you know, we couldn't smoke. And I'm a, I'm a, I've been a smoker since I was 15. You know, and you know, we had to come up with the innovative ways to smoke. You know, we had to, you know, um, our magazines, there's like a little slip on the back to, to where you pull out the spring to clean it and stuff like that. Well, we'd take the, the spring out and just move it and put our cigarette there <laughs> and close the lip so it'd hold it. And that's how we would smoke so that, you know, that, you know, our gunnery sergeant and stuff like that couldn't see us, you know, smoking. <laughs> and um, we're like, OK, we're here, but we don't know if we're going to go. So we got bored. Because we got, like I said, we got there in February and the war didn't kick off like another month and a and half. It, it was just desert. That was all. You know, We did training and then we were bored.
0: So it was at Tent City? Uh. Yeah.
1: Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Um, and then, uh, so me and my buddy Mo we and my buddy Kevin, we all got bored one day. And the, the, only, the only phone that we had to communicate back to the world was uh, uh, the satellite phone that, you know, the battalion talk had. So and everybody got a chance, you know, each company rotated through and you know if they wanted to make a phone call, you know, five minute phone call to the family, let them know that they're alive and this and that, you know, see how they're doing and stuff, uh, they could. So um my buddy Mo went and made a phone call. And then after that, we got the bright idea to to spread a rumor that J Lo died, Jennifer Lopez died coming out of the grave and got hit by a drunk driver and uh um, ben Affleck was in c- uh, critical condition because at this time Ben Affleck and J- Jennifer Lopez were dating, and uh, and we were just talking about it in the bathroom, you know, in the showers while we were showering and stuff, and uh, it spread like wildfire. I mean, it, it, we we're just because you know there's no real communication. I mean, I, I had a staff sergeant in my unit that uh, built a shrine outside his little tent <laughs> to Jennifer Lopez, and he was crying and. So and by the time, you know, we actually reached Baghdad, not only had it switched branches because we had army people telling us this, that she died and got hit by a drunk driver. And it just got more elaborate as it went on, but also switched directions because the army that was the the, the unit in the army that was telling us this came actually from the north. And and we were just laughing because, you know, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I didn't hear about that. (laughs) And we were the ones that started it. Um, but it was, I mean, that was one of the funny memories that I have from, from '03. 3 I mean, uh, it was that and the day that they said we won the war and we could take off, our, we could take our gas mask off our hip because so I was on a gun turret and we were on the outskirts of Baghdad. And, uh, I just took off my gas mask from where I was standing and threw it because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, I was tired of it. I mean, it was, because the first night, um, the night before the war kicked off um this is when they did the the bombing campaign on you know you know when our air Force went and bombed them and uh iraq fired scud missiles over us and so it was like every 15 minutes we were getting you know air raid siren because the scud missiles we didn't uh, i guess they had um like uh, chemical agents in them and stuff like that and so we were getting every time to don our gas masks and stuff like that. And uh, we we're already in full mop suit and mop suit, especially in the desert. is not fun at all because you're already, it's already hot. And then you're in this charcoal sweatsuit just dying. But um, so it got to the point where, you know, you don your gas mask and then the all clear would come around and then you go back to sleep before, you know, cause you still have to do watch and stuff like that. And then, another half hour later and the air raid siren go back off and you're so you wake back up put your gas mask on and then go back to try to go back to sleep and then you know 15 minutes later it all clear it got to the point where a bunch of us just said screw it and just kept our gas mask on went right back to sleep yeah. and then uh you know we woke up in the morning across the you know well, early early morning across the lod the line of departure and you know blew our lines and went in um that was you see a lot of big men there uh, like you know I had this one E five sergeant big as a, you know, big as a door. I mean, he was just, he, he was big, you know, he was like six foot five and, you know, built like a brick house. And he was just, you know, because he was always in the gym and whatnot. And, uh, we started crossing over the bridges and stuff and all of a sudden you know we started taking pop shots uh, we started getting you know added. it wasn't well at first it started as pop shots and then it was continuous fire
0: what were you what were you in Tra- tanks at that no point? no
1: uh, we were in the back of a of a truck okay. um so but we were facing out so we had because we had the tarp over the top of us but we had a jungle world to where the, the the sides of the tarp were up so we held you know we had sandbags and boxes of grenades and claim and uh uh, c4 and stuff like that that we sat on and faced out so as the, the you know as the firefight started this e5 i'm not gonna say his name because you know i don't want to humiliate him because i don't know if he's watching this and if you are i'm sorry but uh <laughs> he, he freaked out and dove in because there was i mean he dove in between us and, and because there was two rows facing out and there was, a space where we had stuff, you know, uh, we had our MREs and stuff like that um, stacked. And he dove in between everybody because he was just freaking out. And, uh, and
0: when you're taking fire and and it's the first time, I would imagine all of us would have a fear. You're gonna, you're hoping training kicks in. It and did uh, for most of us because you got a bunch of guys who are dependent on you mm-hmm. to keep it all in one piece.
1: And it, uh, for most of us, it did. I mean, immediate is you know, immediate kick in. It's just Damn, all right, time, time to go to war. You know, Marine kicked in. And, uh, I, I mean, that was the first time I've ever been fired at. I mean, I've, I've heard gunshots, you know, most of my life and seen a lot of messed up stuff because, you know, where I'm from. Um, but I think I was the scariest I've ever been in my whole entire life. But also the most adrenaline I've ever felt. Yeah. And it was... I don't know. And now I'm older now so I don't try to look for that adrenaline, but I did when I was younger. I you know, i you jump out of airplanes, you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, you go skydiving. I I mean, heck, when we got back my buddy and Mo and myself, Machado, we went skydiving like shoot, we hadn't been back in country for more than 2 months and we went skydiving <laughs> because just,
0: just trying to get that feeling back.
1: Yeah. 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 And then uh so, uh, we stayed in Iraq until you know the war ended, and then I volunteered to stay back to help clean all the equipment to send it all back. What happened in Baghdad
0: when you were when you were taking fire at that time? How long did you stay in there, and what did you guys What, in Baghdad? Have,
1: yeah so when we got to bag, so by the time we got to Baghdad, um, yes, there was an the initial firefight, but for the most part, it was over. Um, because Saddam spread rumors that in order to be in the Marine Corps. Um, you had to kill your mother, so they they feared us. Sounds
0: like the Japs back in World War Mm -hmm. Two. Yep,
1: they so they feared us. Um, so we either ran into um like a mass surrender, we because we ran into a lot of surrenders, and then uh, or you know we we ran into a couple of firefights and stuff like that. Because I remember you know the couple days before crossing the L.O.D., watching these little uh, bongo trucks just driving around in the dirt just tossing mines out in the field like out on the ground where we were getting ready to go and you know as combat engineers that was our job was to go and clear those and uh it was because they feared marines how did you clear a mine back in those days with a stick (laughs) oh found one that was it and then you know and then uh and then you had specialists come in and blow them and stuff like that, but or you know when we found weapons caches and stuff like that and we'd blow them. But um, as we start, as we moved further north towards Baghdad, um, there was a town I can't remember the name of the town, but they stopped us. the 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 populace did, and said that there was uh, big bombs underneath the school. And, you know, we were a combat engineer battalion. So not only did we have, did we do, deal with explosives, but we also had uh, construction stuff. Uh, we had D7s and D9s, you know, big old tractors looking bulldozers. Um, and uh, so we're like, okay, so what do you want us to do? We're like, oh, it's underneath, it's underneath. So we went and we dug it up and because our interpreter was, he was also a Marine, but he, sp- he spoke um, the language. And he was like, "Yeah, they're saying it's right there." So we stayed there for four days and tore up a school. Come to find out, the kids just didn't want to go to school anymore. Um, <laughs> but
0: uh, we poured a, a lot of uh, a lot of money and resources into a number of countries over there. Did you? Were you there long enough to see a lot of that happen? And do you think the money was well spent?
1: Uh, yes and no. I, I, I think I think we stayed there too long. Um, because we're not an occupying force. Uh, the uh, the United States military has never been one for being an occupying force. Uh, that's just not what we're based on. Uh, we're based on, you know, winning wars. Um, but once you start becoming a police force, it drastically dwindles down, you know, our fighting capabilities. Because that's not what we are. We're not a police force. Um, I, did, I, I think we stayed there too long. I think we dumped uh, too much money into it and what it allowed it to do what allowed what what made Iraq so bad was it wasn't the war itself the war we should have just gone in kicked butt and pulled out that's what we should have done but what ended up happening is we gone in we went in kicked butt and then stayed and occupied like i said we're not an occupying force we're a foreign occupying force that has that the populace does not agree with due to religious reasons and it allowed other bad actors to come in because Americans were there and, you know, take pop shots at them and shoot them, kill them. I mean, like that Russian sniper that Chris Kyle shot, um, he wasn't there for the war. He was there to kill Americans. Right. I mean, he, he wasn't there for Russia. He was just there because, you know, he wanted to kill Americans. I think he, Actually, I think he was Czech man or something. What like do you know that. about that story? Not a whole lot. Um, I know, you know, when... He saved a bunch of my friends, <laughs> so, um, cause he killed the, the ice factory, the, cause when, in 2005, we were in, we were outside of, uh, Ramadi at a fob called Blue Diamond and, uh, we had a, was it an ice factory? I think it was an ice factory down the, you know, up the road and, uh, we had a sniper there and he, I mean, at our back gate, he would, it was like every other day we were, you know, under sniper fire and, uh. If I remember correctly, he was the one that took him out. Um, I just remember seeing the SEALs come in because we worked the the entry control point at that point. And uh, we saw SEALs coming in, and we're like, oh, cool, yay, SEALs. Um, Because even in the Marine Corps, SEALs are still, you know, cool. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) they are, I mean. So there's
0: still somebody you guys can look up at, right, and say, well, these guys are doing their job too, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yeah, Delta Force, Special Forces. Uh, Marine Corps has uh, their own, um, you know, Special Forces-type units, uh, you know, the recon uh, re- Recon units. Um, Air Force, I think they have one. I don't know what they do. I had to ask my brother, and he'd probably know more about it, but I think they're, like, uh, like fire and rescue. Like, they, you know, if a down plane, if a plane goes down behind enemy lines they're the ones that go in and try to save them. I think that's the air force's equivalent to their type of special forces. What was
0: Ramadi like? And what was your responsibility there?
1: Um, So, like I said, we were there uh, working the entry control point. We were there to guard the base. um, And we just, we were making sure that the, the ECP or uh, entry control point, you know, stayed active. And uh, we went on a couple missions, Uh, you know, whenever we took mortar fire, we had to go out and do mortar analysis. If it landed outside the fob, um, uh, we were the ones that when we did get attacked, we were the ones that you know were firing back because we were the ones that were manning the towers and stuff like that, which happened quite often. Um, we were also the ones that were reporting out, you know, if we did see a flash before a boom, you know, we were reporting out the, the you know where it came from and stuff like that.
0: When you fired back, what were you firing with?
1: It all depended on the situation. Uh, it also depended on where we were at. If we were at the ECP, we were firing with everything we had because usually that means it was a vehicle born, uh, uh, IED and uh so you know we had the that's where we had the 50 cal and the the you know our you know our that's where we had all most of our firepowers at the entry control points um you know and the, but that was always where people tried to blow stuff up you 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 said once what the locals were like
0: what was pretty much your experience were there times when you saw stuff that would just when you maybe saw kids or, or something else that would just kind of Really break your heart in yes. terms of oh, situation. Gosh,
1: yes. Oh gosh, yes. Because um, w- we always had like soccer balls and teddy bears and stuff like that to hand out to the kids, um, especially in you know 2005 and on. Uh, you know, 2005 was my second deployment, and uh, we had you know there would always be kids coming up to the entry control point, and we'd talk to them. And <clears throat> our Turp, he was he used to be in Saddam's army, but. um he left Saddam's army because something happened with his family. Like Saddam did something bad. One, he wouldn't really talk about it. Yeah, he was a local, but he was nice. As uh, I still remember him, <laughs> you know, in 2005—that's 15 years ago—I still remember what he looks like. He, we called him Kniffy because um, he said the Americans pronounce pronounced the word knife wrong. He said it's pronounced Kniffy. So because <laughs> of how it's spelt. And uh, so we called him Keniffy from then on. And uh, he taught us a lot about the culture and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff we didn't know. But whenever we give them like a, whenever we give the kids a soccer ball or um, uh, we had humanitarian rations, you know, we would hand out to the, you know, to the families and stuff like that. And it always brought a smile because a lot of them, you know, you know, as, you know, opposition forces started moving in and taking over towns and stuff like that, they didn't they took all the supplies for themselves and pretty much left the populace hungry. Um, and the only way that they could make money and stuff like that was to, you know, bury an IED or fire off a mortar and run. And hopefully the Americans didn't catch you. And then, you know, they, you know, opposition forces would pay them for doing stuff like that. And that's how they may had to make their money. It wasn't that they, that they hated us. It's just, they were poor. They were hungry. And they were thinking about their family. You um, you know, Bearing an IED, yeah, that comes with a lot of risk. But you might be able to feed your family for five days, and that that broke my heart because, you know, and there was nothing I could do about it. I mean, I don't know. It's it's sad that they were put in that position when they had no control over it. it. You know, they didn't they didn't ask for the government that they got. They didn't ask to be you know invaded. They didn't ask to be you know occupied like we were like we did for so long. And I understand why eventually they just wanted us out after we took Baghdad. there was a huge void
0: uh we were still there, but there was no law yep, it was just wild I mean people yes. were robbing the museums yep I mean things were just what were you there during that time Yes so that was I was like? there
1: when we like a lot of them were actually happy because a lot of people had um you know, their families in one of Saddam's places where they got mustard gassed and stuff like that. So they really didn't like the ruling party there. Um, and when, you know, the war ended and everything, and we were driving through Baghdad and stuff like that, and, you know, they were tearing down statues of Saddam. They were, um, in fact, that's the, one of the most famous ones. That was a buddy of mine that actually, you know, one of my buddies was there, or, you know, was had the chains hooked up to actually help them pull the statue down. Um, they were breaking up uh, the murals that have Saddam's face on them. They were, uh, whenever we left like one of his palaces or something like that, um, they would, you know, whenever the we would pull out, they there would be a mass of people outside, you know, from the local populace just ready to, you know, as soon as Americans pull out, you know, they gave them the, oh, go ahead to just go in. And, you know, and that's what they did. They went and raided everything that Saddam had because, you know, he took so much from the people and Fixtures, like, tile, everything. Everything. Right? I mean he had golden sinks, he had golden toilets, he had um there was one place that had uh like wild game that he had imported in so he could shoot it and 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 then uh there was like a big old bar that had every because the liquor was mostly illegal in Iraq at that time and he had every type of liquor you could think of from around the world. And we are like, you know Yeah. I mean What do we do with this? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I mean, because but alcohol was easy to get there. Um, cigarettes were easy to get there, but you didn't want to smoke them. But we didn't know that at the time in, in 3 Because um, come to find out, the cigarettes that we were you know, we were buying off the locals and uh, smoking ended up having I think it was like 40% human feces in them, and we didn't know that. So they're like, "Oh, stop smoking those!" And we've been smoking them for like two months. <laughs> didn't know. Did did those have a name uh blue sumers blue sumers blue sumers yep um and but like i said you can get alcohol anywhere and it got to the point where every you know marines that's what we do we drink that's what the marine corps is known for so is you know the navy and the army we'll return to our interview right after this message from our sponsor Let's see, where were we? we were in Diwania, and uh, this was after the war was over, and we, you know, we were getting ready to um, pull out and stuff like that, but we still had supply trains coming up. And uh, we are in Diwania getting ready to go back to Kuwait, and we had this E-8 got drunk, I mean, got hammered the night before and uh, got on top of a truck and uh, elbow-dropped the command sergeant major's pop-up tent granted the command sergeant major wasn't in it but it was but it was late at night but he was just in a meeting and but this you know this e8 got so hammered that he thought it was a good idea to jump on a truck and elbow drop a, uh, you know command sergeant major's little pop-up tent and he was shipped home and then the very next day they made us dump out all our alcohol I and mean, we were not allowed to have alcohol anymore we were like that was it. yep that was it all it took was a e8 <laughs> And, but, you know, and Diwenia, I mean, we, we ended up getting our hands on a projector and, uh, you know, there was a chow hall set up and they brought in a little PX for the line, but the line for the PX was, you would send people to sit in your spot while you went and watched, well, you went and did guard for four hours and then you would go and stand in the spot while they went and did guard for four hours and you would still only be like halfway through the line. Um, <laughs> it was bad, but, um so we you know we had a projector, and they would bring in movies and stuff like that They would buy off the local populace, and you know they'd bring in sodas every now and again and ice and stuff like that for us to eat, and we go to eat the de defect or the little chow hall thing that they had set up. But all the Marines were there, except for the Marines that were coming up. <clears throat> so every Marine that was in country was in Dionia. and then uh, it was it was crazy it, but it was fun because you know I, I got to see guys that I hadn't seen since boot camp, and you know because they were deployed there. I mean, I went to boot camp with a, with a friend of mine from high school. His name's is Chris. Um, him and I went to boot camp together and MCT together. And then, you know, I went to the East Coast. He went to the West Coast. And uh, he showed up out of nowhere. And he was like, hey, what's going on? I was like, ah! So, we, you know, we hung out. And we actually got to catch up, you know, because it had been a couple of years since we'd seen each other. But we saw each other in Iraq, you know. I haven't seen him since high school or since boot camp, actually. And, you know, we met up again in Iraq, and I thought that was pretty, you know, pretty cool. You know, just, you don't expect something like that. And I saw a couple of my buddies from boot camp. They showed up there, and, you know, I just kind of, like, ran into them in, like, the PX line or at the DFAC or Chow Hall or whatever. Every branch has their own name for There
0: was a situation,
1: I think, with Fallujah. So where the, where the Marines at
0: one point, uh, I guess we had either had to back out or or we lost it. I don't
1: know which. The Army lost it and sent the Marines
0: in. And then sent the Marines in. So the Marines said, we're going <clears> to <throat> take it back. Were you involved in that? Or if not, do you know what the story was there? Because there was supposed to be a movie out about that. I don't know if it ever made it.
1: Um, so in 2004, I was on uh, to deploy to Iraq. It was a volunteer basis. And uh, me and my buddy Mo who you know we went to boot camp together we went to MCT together we went to school together and we hit the fleet together um and we even went to war together in 03 um it, we were on the list to go and at that time uh, i think it was about a month and a half before we were getting ready to ship out i met my wife <clears throat> i didn't know she was my she was going to be my wife but i met my wife and uh my buddy mo said hey let me take this one you uh um you know there's something here this this was the first time mo liked any of my girlfriends any but and mo was that was my best friend and i was like okay well then you sure i'll go no no you got something here you need to stay with her i like her I, i think she'd be good for you i was like all right and then uh uh he went and then that was in 04 and uh and this was back when we had instant messenger and stuff like that. When the Yahoo instant messenger and aim and all that other stuff, it wasn't really cell phones and stuff like that yet. Like there is now. Um, but I, you know, I was talking to him on instant messenger and then, uh, in fact, he was even talking to my wife because we were engaged at that point, And so she was talking to him too. And, uh, you know, he'd say, Hey, I'm going out on a mission. Uh, I'll be back. And uh, when I get back, I'll, you know, I, I am you. And then, uh, as last time anybody talked to him well, on the state side, um, ended up dying that day. And it was like, a, it was literally a week before he turned 21. And he was still in the process of becoming a, a, an American citizen. So he was getting ready to take the test, you know, once he got back to become an American citizen. So, because he was, you know, they came up from Mexico, he had his green card and stuff like that. And uh, that, that,
0: it must have rocked
1: yeah. you. Yeah, it was the only time that that I wasn't with him. I mean, and you know what happened? I do. Um, I think I do. Uh, they said that uh, there was an explosion. Uh, his and his Humvee caught loose sand, and uh, it flipped, and he was in the back of it. And you know there was no cover on it, and the way that it landed. It just landed on top of him and cut him in half, um, and that was, like I said, that was a, that was a week before he turned uh, twenty-one. So he didn't even get to legally drink, and he went and died for a country that he wasn't fully a part of yet. And and that, like I said, that was that was sixteen years ago, uh, coming up.
0: I'm sure you've seen whatever movies or documentaries have been made about uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes. How often do you think they get it right, and, uh, and how often not? Um, and which ones do you think got it right?
1: The one that came closest was Restrepo. Was what? Restrepo. Um, Restrepo was an outpost in Afghanistan. Um, I think it was. I think it's on Netflix now. But uh, military personnel, they, they most of them know that movie. It's just one of those movies that, you know, we know um, that that was, that's what parts of Afghanistan looked like. And when I went to Afghanistan and, let's see, I went to, let's see, I went back to Iraq when I joined the army. So you were Marines on your first tour of duty? And then I got out, you know, I got out of the Marine Corps because my wife said, you know, you know, either her or the Marine Corps, because Marine Corps is, it's country, or it's Marine Corps, God. Family, Right. in that order. Yeah. Marine Corps, God, family, family. If they wanted you to have a wife, they would have issued you it. Yeah, and that, and that <laughs> that's that's just that was the mentality of the Marine Corps back then. And
0: Chesty um, Puller, I think was yes the first
1: sir. One and you then uh
0: Chesty, wherever you are.
1: I say i still say that, and I've been out of the Marine Corps since two thousand five. Um, but uh, so I got out of the Marine Corps because I love my wife. You know, we just we had just got together. Just found out she was pregnant, and I realized, for me, raising a family in the Marine Corps just wasn't it. So I moved back home, and I uh, didn't want to get out of the military because I love the military. Um, I was young and dumb while I was in the Marine Corps, so I did a lot of dumb stuff. Um, but when I got out, you know, I went back home to my little farm town in California and worked on a farm and joined the National Guard. I did a national guard for about nine months and was like, okay, this isn't cutting it. And told my wife, Hey, I'm I'm not going to go back in the Marine Corps, but I want to go back into the army. And she goes, okay. So I went back into the army and, uh, you know, after, after only being on the Marine Corps for nine months and went to Fort Drum, New York, I spent a little, not that much time in Fort Drum. i
0: Fort Drum. Yeah. uh,
1: That place is too cold. Mm -mm. I lasted about a year and a half there. Mountain, Uh, mountain division. uh, Mm hmm. 10th mountain. But, uh, I got there right after the unit that I went to deployed, so I didn't get a, I didn't get to deploy with them. And I, like I said, I lasted about a year and a half there, um, and then they were asking for for people to go to Fort Lee, and I was like, I'll go to Fort Lee because my wife, you know, she's from she's from here, she's from Virginia, she was born and raised in Norfolk, and uh, so. <clears throat> so we went to Fort Lee which is you know an hour and a half away so she could see her parents and stuff like that and we were at Fort Lee for 5 years and fi- Fort Lee re- when you think Fort Lee you don't really think so you were army reserve at this point no i was active duty active army. duty mm-hmm. okay um but when you think Fort Lee you don't really think you know fighting force you don't really think uh uh you know deployments and stuff like that but i did you know i did two deployments out of Fort Lee uh one in 2009 and 10 uh, we went to Iraq and, you know, we just, out, we went to a bunch of outlining fobs and was setting up and helping out with the fobs and stuff like that. Uh, not really doing a lot, you know, just making sure, checking up on, you know. Um, And then, and so I got back in 2010, uh, uh, Thanksgiving Day. So I've been in the military for 19, coming up on 20 years, and I have never missed a Thanksgiving, ever. No matter how many times I've been employed, I have never missed a Thanksgiving. My wife calls it her curse because <laughs> she always has to cook because that's my favorite holiday so i made sure to always try to be back the best i could so you've had two deployments overseas or i've had four four deployments overseas, uh, three to iraq one in afghanistan wow um so i got back from iraq thanksgiving day of 2010 and then you just
0: had it timed right
1: yeah literally um and then uh the, uh, i moved to a new unit at fort lee because my unit was shutting down and uh, they were asking for volunteers and i was you know and i'd only been back for this was like middle of january 2011 and i was like i'll, I'll go so i got back and you know i got after i got back off of leave you know they they sent me over to the new unit and they're like hey, you know who wants to volunteer and i raised my hand because i had a couple buddies that were volunteering to go and they're like okay uh all right, go. And then uh, my wife wasn't happy about it because as soon as I got back, I went immediately into workups, you know, you know training and making sure that our unit was qualified to you know go do the missions and stuff like that. And um, I left in, let's see June 1st. left June 1st of 2011. so I hadn't even been back a full six, seven months, and I was already, you know in you know going flying to Afghanistan. And we've touched down in Afghanistan, and this command sergeant major, Sergeant Major Gorey, he comes out, and he goes, all right, who's been to Iraq? And, you know, a couple of us raise our hands, and, you know, they, you know cocky, you know, ah, I've been to Iraq. How many times have you been to Iraq? Three. How many times have you been to Iraq? One. How many times, you know. He goes, all right, how many of you have been to Afghanistan? Nobody raises their hand, because Afghanistan at that time, you know, not a lot of deployments were going on. He goes, now, take, and all you people that have been to Iraq, take what you know about Iraq, and this is exactly what he said. He, he said, said "Control Alt Delete that," because Iraq ain't nothing like Afghanistan. It's a whole different war, whole different ball game.
0: And how was it different?
1: There was a lot more. So Iraq, you would get a, you know occasional RPG or pop shot unless you were you know on the Highway of Death or whatnot. But Afghanistan, I don't know. It was just different. Um, it, it just felt like the fighters were different because at that point, I mean, heck, I, we got in firefights with. Uh, the Afghani National Police, and you know, we got in firefights with everybody, <laughs> the, the the not just the police, but the military, their military. I mean, it was
0: uh, no, you? This was this 10th Mountain?
1: No, this was this was out of uh, the uh, an actual uh, what was it? It was a fueler unit, a unit that all they did was fuel, right. but they got tasked to run gun trucks in uh, Afghanistan to you know. To do resupply missions and stuff like that, and that's all we did was run gun truck platforms up and down uh, RC East. Not safe. Uh, no, no. Did uh, you
0: guys have private uh, contractors providing security for them? No, that was us. No? We were that the was
1: we, we were the security. You were it. Yep. That was that was literally our mission. We would come back. You know, we, we would go out on a mission. We'd be gone for you know. We'd hit. We'd fob hop and you know drop off equipment and stuff like that, and then go on to the next fob, and then turn around and come back. Uh, we were running out of ba- uh, Bagram Airfield, and uh, you know we'd always take pop shots and you know RPGs and IEDs. I mean, heck, um, my buddy Sam, we were, I can't remember what town we were in, but uh, we had bird net over our, our, you know our turrets, like you know it was just like wiring with uh, camouflage netting over it, so you know kind of keep the sun off of us and stuff like that. He had an RPG. I guess they didn't pull they didn't pull the pin off of it. But he had an RPG come in through his bird net, bounced off his Kevlar, knocked him out, went out and exploded like, I don't want to say about 100 meters out, but knocked him out. And they were like, and all we heard was gunner down over the comms. And we're like, what the heck? It was crazy because, and he still has the fin to this day because I I still talk to him. He still has because the way that it landed, it scraped the fin off from the RPG, so he had it. (laughs) I mean, he brought that home. Our commander wrote a memorandum and everything so he could bring it home because you know it's technically a war trophy, but um, it was just. uh, But most of us uh, out of you know our gun truck platforms. There was a lot of, you know, prior infantry and, you know, prior Marines and a lot of combat, you know, associated MOSs is just, they moved to, to the fuelers because they're, you know, their bodies were broken and they wanted, they still wanted to stay in the military. And did you ever go on search, search and rescue missions? Um, the closest thing we did is we got, um, so I was there, I did not do any search and rescues. We did, uh. Uh, Recoveries. Um, We were getting ready to to pull the Black Hawk that got taken down um, when we took out. Because I was there for when um, Bin Laden. I was in country when Bin Laden got taken out. Um, And then, uh, so in that Black Hawk that got downed there. Yes. uh, We were we were supposed to transport it through, but something came up and they asked us not to. Okay.
0: When we lost the seals.
1: Yeah um and then what what else was there I was there when uh Westboro Baptist Church was burning the Quran and that caused all kinds of riots and because that made you know national news in Afghanistan that you know Americans are burning Qurans and that's their you know their holy book and you know in America we have freedom of speech and stuff like that you know you burn a bible or you burn a Quran it's no big deal you know it's part of the first amendment but in Afghanistan that's what they live by um you know, that, that's, that's, that's their whole doctrine. That's what their government's pretty, uh, at the time was, you know, pretty much based off of. And it was mostly, you know, a uh, small time government, you know, not small time government, but like local elders and stuff like that, you know, community ch- tribe chief, uh, chiefs and stuff like that. Um, so every time we, you know, during that time, every time we drove through a town or a village or something like that, we were getting rock stone at us and pop shots all because, you know, people in America were exercising the first amendment and we're like, I mean, you're over here killing Americans. We don't care. I mean, we care that you're killing Americans, but we're not out here just slaughtering everybody. You know, we're not. We're not here throwing rocks at you because you know you're killing Americans. I don't know if you're killing an American. I'm not burning the Quran. That's just how America works. You know, we have those rights and those liberties and those freedoms. So, you get to see, you know, being in places like that, how important you know our freedoms are. Yeah. Because there, if you uh, spoke up, you know, if they, if they, you know, the locals spoke up against the Taliban, you would find a dead body on the road the next day. Uh, I, and You saw all kinds of weird stuff. Um, let's see, we were going to a, a FOB called uh, FOB Kill-A-Guy. It was ran by the Germans. It was, uh, it was an RC North, and you had to go through this really, really long tunnel that always got backed up because they... There's no traffic laws, and they don't really. They just kind of go wherever they want, and uh, so we would. Uh, we in in order to go through this, I think it was like a four or five mile long tunnel. Wasn't you that driving long? Tanker trucks, or no. We were time. driving uh, MRAPs. ramps, uh, so you know, uh, you know, mine resistant vehicles and stuff like that, and uh, so it would it would be this whole ordeal to go through one of these tunnels, and it would you know four or five mile long tunnel it would take five, six hours because of how they drive They there. You know, cause we only go at set speed and they would try to get around us and end up in accidents and cause the traffic on one side. And because traffic's backed up on this side, they try to come and they go around it in the, the oncoming lane and they don't care. And it was a pain in the butt <laughs> to make it through a tunnel. Um, but we got out, we were doing security on the other side of the tunnel, waiting for our convoy to come through. And, uh, uh, a guy came up, uh, saying, "Hey, he needed to get through the tunnel. We weren't letting anybody through the tunnel at the time, uh, you know, to, to alleviate traffic because it was backed up inside the tunnel." And uh, he's like, oh, "My wife, she, she, she needs hospital. She needs hospital." I'm like, "Okay, okay." So we, I, you know, we got out and went over to his car and and uh, his wife, he, she looks sick and and you know, one, you know, we always do, you know. When we're approaching a vehicle, we always, you know, fan out and make sure that there's no suspicious, you know, wirings hanging underneath it and stuff like that. Um, you know, and that he's just trying to lure us in to blow us up. So as we're, we're doing our approach and one, one of uh, the soldiers walks around back and there's an arm hanging out the trunk. And we're like, sir, what is, what is this? And we got our trip over. And we're like, what is this? And he goes, oh, nothing. He opens the trunk up just a little bit, shoves the arm back in and closes it again. <laughs> <And> we're like... <laughs> come to find out it was his um i think it was his brother that died and he was just while he was taking his wife to the hospital he was going to take his brother to the morgue or bury him or or do the the whatever they do you know where they they do the the purification of the skin and the body and then wrap him in the cloth and then throw him in the dirt uh i don't know it was yeah (laughs) What,
0: what was the worst situation you ever faced on the on your tours over there
1: there was a couple of them. Um, I can tell you the scariest one. All right. Um, so in 2003, we were we were, we had to go and uh, clear the Baghdad International Airport. You know, make sure that there was no mines and stuff. And, but which you know we knew that there was going to be, and we had to clear it. You know, with sticks. And you know, all right, step, poke, step poke and that, that was probably the, the scariest um most difficult uh, was, so we were transporting in afghanistan we were transporting you know uh nation trucks you know there were truckers that from you know afghanistan and you know they they volunteered to work for us so they can get paid by you know driving rigs and stuff like that and you know hauling our equipment and stuff and we that was what we were secure that, that was we were the security for those and uh one let's see we were i can't even think of the name of the town but we were It was daytime and we only had a couple trucks with us um a couple of host nation trucks I and mean, we always ran with five gun trucks but uh, i think we only had like 12 or 13 host nation trucks with us and that was a small convoy for us and uh, we we're going through this town which always had a tight turn like right so you had kind of a little bit of buildings on the left as you're starting to come into the town and you had an open field on the right and you had a big old cliff on the left as well behind the buildings. And then, uh, inside the town, you come in and you've got buildings and then you come around and there's a bend. Um, and there was a truck, uh, another truck, you know, a, a semi truck parked in the middle of the road, stopping our convoy. So, you know, I'm, I was a uh, second to last vehicle and then trail or our last truck, um, We were out in the, you know, out in the open, out in the field. And they were starting to get, you know, taking pop shots from inside the the little village. And we're like, what the heck was going on? And they started, you know, contact left, contact right. And then all of a sudden we started seeing, you know, we start hearing RPGs and mortars coming at us and taking pop shots. And we're... Shitting ducks. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, that's 50 cals, 240s and 249s. That's when you start firing those up. So, you know, that was... That was a long gunfight because <laughs> because we had to we had to you know get the truck that was stopping our convoy. We had to get out you know and move that truck and then uh, so we can continue you know moving through. But in order to do that, we had to you know take out the opposition forces, and it was crazy.
0: You probably stay in touch with a lot of the guys that you served with uh, over there.
1: Yes. Um, Thanks to modern technology, you know everybody's counted for. Yep. Uh, you know, my like my buddy Kevin out in California, my buddy Dave out in Detroit. Um, you know, uh, you know all the ones that you know you lose to PTSD because that that happens a lot.
0: That was another question for you. Just describe your experiences with guys who were affected by that, and and were you affected by that at any? State so I was,
1: but not to, you know, a significant extent. Um, mine was, you know, how loud when I first came back from any deployment, you know, loud booms and uh, fireworks. I couldn't really be around and stuff like that. But, you know, I never had the flashbacks and stuff like that. Uh, it, so I got lucky. It didn't affect me as bad as it affected a couple others. My buddy John, who I knew from the Marine Corps, but also I met up again in 2010 when I was in the Army and back in, in Iraq. And he was... He joined the Army Reserves and was on deployment in Iraq. And, you know, right as he was leaving, I met up with him again. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Um, He left a month before me. And uh, before I got back, uh, he committed suicide by cop in the state of Washington. You know, acted like he had a gun on him and the cops were forced to shoot him. Um, And then uh, Afghanistan, my buddy Trent, who was my roommate... We were, you know, my roommate in Afghanistan, um, you know, we we were in the same gun truck platform and, you know, went on all the missions together and stuff like that. And we were really close. Um, And uh, we got back. He uh, we've been back for about four months and he came down on orders to go to Washington State, you know, go to Washington. And uh, he was there. He had just checked into his unit. And he committed suicide by cop. So why by cop? I I don't, so he was, he was, that one, that one was, I read a lot of reports on that one, and that one, I don't know, there's, there's something fishy about that one, uh, because he was hammered, he didn't have a gun, he didn't even act like, oh, from the reports that I read, he didn't act like he was, but they, they still call it suicide by cop, but he was, I mean, Afghanistan was, that was probably the. Oh, the the Iraq push in 2003 and the Afghanistan tour those were probably my two hardest tours um but i don't know i don't trent i'm not sure you know what happened and you know i wasn't and that was you know my second friend that was suicided by a cop in the state of Washington so yeah. so now my sister and my brother-in-law are stationed there and i'm like mm. <laughs> Kind of a little worried about it because he's, but he's Navy. He's about to retire as well. So, any good
0: stories you can think of that you haven't told me yet? Mm, uh,
1: So, (laughs) when I told you about that school that we were digging up, uh, we had this kid. So, because we, you know, it was a 1st Marine Division and 2nd Marine Division, you know, joint operation, uh, we had, you know, people from 1st Marine Division, you know, fall in with us, you know. And, uh, you know, to boost our numbers and stuff like that so we can, you know, move out as a unit. And we had this kid from California. Um, and in order to use the bathroom out there, when you had to go, you know, number two, you dug a hole. And we had these ammo boxes. that You know, they're they're wooden. And, you know, we would always put, you know, we would tape styrofoam around them so they'd be easier to sit on. And, um, and you know, our E5 had one. And he was like, make sure you bring it back, you know, always. And you had to give him collateral, like a pack of cigarettes or something like that and um we were at that school and he he was out in the middle of the open field because by then you know we we weren't shy around each other anymore um he dug his hole and he put it there and you know he's got his rifle in his hand and you know we're all watching because you know you're supposed to have uh you know security around you even when you're doing that um and uh all of a sudden this pack of dogs you know start coming over (laughs) wild dogs and uh we're getting ready to go, my EFI's like, no, 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 no. This is gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> so he he start he, he didn't notice until they started barking at him and they were running straight at him. And uh, <laughs> so he go, so he he looks, he starts freaking out, and he's got he's got his pants around his ankles so he's standing up trying to run with his pants around his ankles trying to pull his pants up and he's got his rifle behind his back and he's trying to he's like ah, he's screaming and he, he starts shooting at the dogs with his pants around his ankles and my E5 goes boy you better come back with my shitter <laughs> we were dying laughing
0: <laughs> <laughs> Like that was the first thing on his mind
1: <laughs> yeah that's good that's actually one of my favorite stories to tell so <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things you never forget because yeah the situation sucked because it was hot but um as time goes on you forget about the bad stuff and Yeah, you remember the funny stuff the good stuff yeah uh, your friends uh the memories that you made because you, you we're all in the suck you know Heck, in Dvinia when you know after the war was over you know we had uh everybody was you know there's certain stuff that we couldn't bring back and you know they're like you know they're giving away you know, camouflage netting so we took everybody's camouflage netting we made this big old fortress um out there you know just just out of camouflage netting and they had these big old sandbags they're like this and you know they said if you want to film you can have them because we were there for like 2 or 3 weeks so you know we were bored didn't have anything to do so we filled the sandbags, we turned, you know, we had the camouflage netting up and, you know, we had the, the sandbags and those were our chairs and our beds and our benches and tables. And because, like I said, we were bored and, you know, we had, you know, and uh, you could buy um, uh, glass bottle uh, sodas, you know, from the locals and stuff like that. And then uh, so we had, you know, magazines that, you know, didn't have any ammo in it, you know, hanging on strings you know, down from the hang of the camo net because that was our bottle openers. <laughs> I mean, we had a little radio that we bought from the PX for like 60 bucks. It was a tiny little radio, but, you know, we had like five CDs. <laughs> Good times, though.
0: You know, in a lot of cases, the news that we get back here in the States when there's when our military is heavily involved overseas, we don't always get the same we get filtered news. Yes. Um, when you when you got back and you started talking with friends and relatives who were back in the States after one of your tours, did you find out that there was a lot that they didn't know or yes. that they got wrong yes. about what uh, was going but that on was,
1: there? That was because there was, you know, especially, you know, especially in 03, there was a lot of stuff, you know, that we weren't allowed to talk about once we got back. It still hasn't been declassified. Um, uh, the, you know the, the burning oil fields they you know they, they they had some knowledge of it but they didn't know how bad it was or um the burn pits or uh, you know what we call flaming diesel poo because you know once once you got set up you know, a, you know you started to build a fob and whatnot you had you know 55 gallon drums that were cut in half and they filled up with diesel fuel and that's where everybody went to the bathroom in and then uh, in the morning and in the evening, you would go out there. You would pull the bins, the fifty-five gallon drums out. You would light them on fire and stir them. Evidently, that was bad for us. Didn't know it, um, but because of it, now you know a lot of people are uh, they're on you know uh, lists and stuff like that for like burn pit lists and stuff like that. But nobody, you know, that's, you know, well, how did you do that or why did you do this? What what was the what was the problem with the burn
0: pits? Was it uh, no? What, it
1: was bad for your lungs. Bad for your lungs. Yes, okay. um, and because and because of that, a lot of us from 03 are automatically on a burn pit list. Um, okay. uh which was so even, sort
0: of like Agent Orange. Not much yes. was talked about Agent Orange yes. in Vietnam, but yes. yet afterwards, you yes, know, it became a deal. Uh,
1: in fact, uh, I have a buddy that you know at my current job that he was in Nam, and, you know, he's he's all messed up from Agent Orange, and we were talking about some of that stuff. But when I came back from Iraq in 03, that was the best feeling I had ever had in my life. Um, they found out that we were coming back, and they, you know, um, motorcycle gang groups were escorting us back from the airfield to, you know, Camp Lejeune, and, you know, there was parades, there was cops escorting us, you know, people waving on the road, and you know people proud that you were in the military and whenever you walked into an airport you know during that time you know and people someone found out that you were you know you know a soldier you know in the military there you know so much respect and cuz our military is volunteer it's all 100% volunteer and so every one of us that you know went over volunteered to do it and uh now it's getting to the point where they respect us but they forget why the the, it's been 19 years since 9 11. Well, coming up on 19 years, and uh, those that said that they would never forget forgot, and because of it, the, you know the military is just kind of on the back burner. You know they don't, even though you know we are the world's most advanced fighting force. You know, we're just you know, oh, it's the military. The military, you know, okay, whatever. But most of us don't do it for you know glory or honor or anything like that. I did it because you know, I I joined the military because it's the only way I saw out of my town. And a lot of us are like that. Most people don't even know that. But I I think the the respect is still there for the most part. But it's starting to. I don't know. It's, I've I've seen videos and stuff like that on you know on the internet of you know oh just because you're in the military and they disrespect them and just because they're in the military like uh now especially now with what's going on you know with the national guard being deployed to certain areas and stuff like that um and people viewing the military as racist and i'm like race has nothing to do with the military at all like literally, every what we see is green. Do you
0: get sad when you see this stuff going on on I television do. with these with uh, the flags, uh, with the people not, breaking into stores and and yes. torching towns yes. and yes. cities and pulling down statues and yes. pretty much trying to erase our American heritage?
1: So the funny thing is, and what they'll never, what the mainstream media doesn't tell you, is it's Democrats, you know, pulling down Democratic statues, and they don't even realize it because they weren't taught that. And I'm from California, which is heavily Democratic. And I was taught that. You know, California does not have the best, well, schools. I can tell you that right now. They don't. And uh, I could still, I'm, I'm like, Andrew, they're like, oh, we got to pull down Andrew Jackson. You know, he, okay, whatever. Oh, we got to rename Fort Lee. You know, Robert E. Lee was, was actually a good guy. He didn't own slaves. In fact, he was an abolitionist, but he couldn't raise his sword against his state, his home state of Virginia.
0: Exactly. Yeah, they wanted to be a Union general, but mm-hmm. he said, "I'm from." And Virginia, he wasn't. An, he I, was
1: an abolitionist.
0: I can't give up my state. Yep.
1: He said he could. He he said that in no scenario could he raise his sword against the state of Virginia, because back then, um, it wasn't you know loyalty to you know the country. It was loyalty to your state, and that's just how it was. It wasn't that he was forced slavery. In fact, he was actually. Completely against it.
0: I mean, these people today who are out there rioting call themselves patriots. But they're not. They're not patriots at all. They don't. And I wonder how many would benefit by going in the military.
1: Do you believe believe there should be a forced? No. uh, Nope, I do not. uh, The reason why is... Mandatory two years? I do not. Um, Military doesn't fix everything. That's not the job to fix everything the job of the military is to fight and win wars that is it it's not to fix your problems it's not to be fe- it's not to be a it's
0: not a social agency
1: exactly it's it's not to uh test out new social projects like they did you know in previous administrations um you know pre- previous a- presidential administrations that's we don't care if you're gay or straight don't care we don't care you know what color your skin is don't care. We don't care who you pray to or if you pray at all. Don't care. Only thing we care about is when, you know, when our lives are on the line, when we're in a firefight, when we're in the fighting hole, if you have my back, that's the only thing we care about. Don't care if you're man or woman. You got my back? Because one of the baddest gunners I know was a female. Because uh, during that, the, the firefight I told you about in Afghanistan, you know, the one that, that was probably the longest, the gunner in the the trail truck, in the truck behind me, he froze. And we we're in the middle of a firefight. So the the assistant gunner, she reached up, grabbed the, la- the lanyard, and he fell on his butt. She pushed him over to the other seat, and she jumped up there, and she started rocking and rolling. So, like I said, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, you know, if you have your buddies back. That's the only thing that matters in the military. It isn't... You know it isn't this big social party or nothing like that. I mean granted military drinks a lot and we are very we are social butterflies because that's just how we are you know we go into a port and you're it's just what we do but the military is not you know some some testing ground and so I don't think you know just because you know everybody's like oh like you know with South Korea, does. South Korea, I think he had to spend two or four years in the Rock Army, the and it's mandatory, but the, I think the longevity and the value of the soldiers just kind of goes down because everybody's just forced to be there. You're not, you're not there because you want to be. You're not there because you're, you know, you're striving to be there. You're there because you're forced to. And I, I think that would, one, greatly diminish the morale of the military, and two, just overall bring down the performance of the military. But that's just my personal opinion on it.
0: Well, Bobby Randall, thank you very much for giving us your time today. We appreciate it, and we appreciate your your, your memories and throwing some good light
1: uh, on our military, and thank you for your service. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me, and uh, if you hopefully we can do this again. This was fun. I agree. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, John.
0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries for this first installment of Veterans Forum. If you liked it, please let us know in a review or by emailing us at 1001 podcast at gmail.com. That email again is 1001 podcast at gmail.com. And tell us what you think and let us know if you'd like to be interviewed. Meanwhile, thanks for listening and for sharing our show with others. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back with a new episode next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Until then, everyone, stay safe. And we'll be back soon.